the way the week has gone is supposed to be at least a discussion on the technical aspects or the practice of meditation, not so much the technical, but the practice of meditation and the experience of meditation. And then um, looking at, at the texts from the different wisdom tradition to enrich that experience of meditation and um, to allow the meditation enrich our understanding of the texts as well. So I suppose there are people are coming with different experiences and practice of meditation. Some people are starting, some people have been practicing for many years. Um, but each time you meditate at some level it's the start and people who've been practicing for many years sort of appreciate that. So we did start off with the um, the posture um, the sitting position which I think is something very important to take with you because it greatly helps the practice of meditation and the mantra and moved into the whole concept of the of distraction during meditation and um, the importance of of letting go um, and rising above the I, me, mine. So while it's as you're going in, it's fine to be focusing on your breath and focusing on your thoughts and your experiences and the curiosity of it. You have to go beyond that. And that's, that's a critical part of the teaching. So you have to leave the, the sort of the I, I'm experiencing this, this is interesting, this is curious. As you have to go beyond it. And even the positive distractions we leave behind because what meditation does is of course it, un it generates creativity within us. And it does that by, by the detachment, detaching from things. We then touched on the importance of evaluation or the absence of evaluation. And and this discussion on good and bad meditation. We, we, we never say there's such a thing as good or bad meditation, but we do know there's a difference in the experience. So sometimes it can be distracted and sometimes it can be peaceful. And just to see that as part of the experience, neither good or bad. And sometimes the distracted may, be, have, a, may have a better impact or more significant impact. Um, and that clearly is one of the big problems we have with healthcare professionals, especially with doctors, because they're trained to evaluate, self-evaluate, and they've been, in the start of their lives, been the SWATs in the class, evaluating their progress and making sure that they're performing the whole way through. And this is a point where I think we hit, which is, which is you let that go. You're not good at meditation or bad. We touched on the whole concept of... of stopping and not meditating, which is something that everybody who's meditated experiences. So you either don't meditate for, like, I, th I think the key message out of all of this is just meditate. And it's the only message, in fact, just do it. However, in the course, for whatever reason, you, in the course of your practice, you might skip a day, 
skip a week, skip a year, skip a few years. And that that in itself is is also part of the experience. It's part of the sort of enrichment of it as well as uh, you obviously miss out when you're not meditating, but when you go back, it's it, it's not something you go back to with regret. It's like going home. We talked about the contemplative practices today um, and, and the whole idea that it meditation enriches your ex- contemplative experience. In other words, your ability to enjoy the truth, or to enjoy the moment, or to enjoy the present, whether that's your children, whether it's music, whether it's literature, whether it's your work or your interaction with people, whether it's eating, and that, and that there is a relationship between being mindful or being contemplative in what you're doing feeding into your meditation and your meditation feeding into being contemplative, in other words, enjoying that moment of your life. Um, and then we also discussed the, the levels uh, or the, the experience of meditation as you go through it. You don't necessarily wait for this, but you, you will... Well, it will change from saying it, and certainly for me, I used to hammer it out, but, but saying it as gently as you can, and then sounding it, which is somewhere between hearing and saying, and then, and then going to a place of, of just hearing it, and then hearing it faintly, and then hitting a point of stillness, which may last for a long or short period of time, but, but at some point you'll say, I'm in, a point, I'm in a point of stillness, and then you're back to, to trying to sound or, or listen to it. Um, the other um, experience of meditation is, is the levels of consciousness, or, or for me, they're more, they feel more like levels of healing. Um, and this, I think, does relate to, to, contemplative, to, to meditation being one of the most ancient, or probably the most ancient healing practices. So you're, you're healing yourself from the distractions, which are never, we know that they're not pleasant, especially when we become more and more aware of them. They're not good for us. They're not health. Healing the sort of deeper aspects of our unresolved issues. And then, and then the healing, which is deeper again, which is, which is the wall of the e- that the ego has built up, that is limiting us from this, from experiencing the fullness of life or the reality of life, in fact. And the meditation is, is taking those blocks down while, while we meditate and between our meditations so that we can see something beyond, which is the final level. So that is seeing the unit of state or, or experiencing what people call absolute reality, that which is beyond name, the darkness within the darkness, the gate to knowledge. So um, those are the key things that we discussed around the practice of meditation. We then took some, some, with those interwoven with them, we then took some of those themes further um, 
through through discussions of the texts. And um, I think the first theme that we talked about was this whole concept of being, which when we got to the Katha Upanishad was this un unit of state, which is the Tao, or the Tao as it's also pronounced, um, and the kingdom of, of God, which is, which is now present and is there for us to experience. And that this stage was a stage where being and doing are in harmony. And where that harmony, the nature of it, is that being is sovereign. So being is being is, is primary. And we would look through a number of different texts, particularly within the Tao Te Ching on that, and then the story of Martha and Mary in the Gospel. And, as, and one of the um, learnings from doing the story of Martha and Mary is it shows how our dualistic mind sort of attacks um, wisdom texts, and sort of it's sometimes easier to see it when, when we see other people doing it. That, that you know we project things into it and miss miss the meaning sometimes because we get caught up on things that oh well you know I'm marked out people are always taking advantage of me or whatever else it is that so just seeing the seeing seeing beyond it um, and trying to understand let the text just flow through us rather than the dualistic mind is always looking for something to grab onto and pull apart and say oh yeah I told you so or there's a um, you know, there's an injustice in that. Um, but that whole story is really a, a very important lesson in the whole concept of being. Of being. And, and um, that, that being encompasses everything. That, being, that, that harmony between being and doing encompasses everything. The tall and the small, the good and the bad, everything there, there is, the, the full experience. Of life. Um, we then um, talked about distractions, and um, one of the the key, well, the two key texts, I suppose, is the Katha Upanishad, and uh, which is is does include some distractions. But the main text we looked at there was Jesus being. Um, tempted in the desert, in the wilderness. And we can talk about distractions or fears in different ways, but that, that particular text talks about them in, in terms of uh, our fears, our desires around immortality, around our material needs, um, our worldly needs, and our something to power, our power to control our own destiny. Um, and he was tempted with those. And for him to, to experience the angels at the end of it, or the, the experience of being, or this, this experience of the unit of state, he had to reject those or go through a process of letting them go. So these are the cravings that um, the Buddha talks about that cause us our suffering and prevent us from, from experiencing um, of, of this state of reality. We then touched on the process of 
like how do we move from distraction and the existence and the doing and being caught up in that whole maelstrom to to this unit of state, the kingdom of God, the Tao, where being is, is in harmony with doing. And the process which the, what we have to go through is the process of detachment. And detachment is obviously a word that has many different connotations and so therefore we have to understand what it means. What it means is is obviously not indifference. And the attention is the action that leads to detachment. And the purest form of attention, which is our practice, is, 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 um, is meditation. <coughs> and um, detachment is, is, our, is necessary for our healing. It's our, it's our healing, it's our ability to return to this state of being. We then discuss paradox. So paradox is these apparent contradictions, are, but they're being held in balance. They're, our understanding, the paradox incorporates both. Um, so one of the lines from the uh, cloud of the unknowing is, my spirit was given an understanding while not understanding. So it's you're taken into a space where you where we we experience something, or the darkness within the darkness, which is the gateway to to all knowledge. And the other great paradox is really was was is right through the sermon sermon of the mount mount. We then discussed um, texts that relate to the experience of this unit of state. So clearly the Katha Panishad. Was was one of those, and in some ways, the Sermon on the Mount is an ex, is a description of the experience of this unit of state as much as well as a direction as as to how you might get there. We um, went through the little getting by T. S. Eliot, who. Um, I suppose, as we discussed, was a person who is immersed in Christian mysticism, but also heavily influenced and had studied Sanskrit and the the Indian philosophies uh, for a number of years. And um, his whole, con- you know, sort of this wonderful line, which we're starting at the beginning and recognizing it for the first time. Um, you know that we're it was always there. And um, so this links into Ramana Maharshi, which is when he was asked what awareness was. He says, you are awareness. Awareness is another name for you. Since you are awareness, there's no need for you to attain it or cultivate it. All you need to do is give up being aware of other things. This is, this is starting at the beginning and recognizing it for the first time. We had a discussion on death, again linked to the Katha Panishads, which is 
which is what is the meaning of death, we, we didn't uh, get to go through the, uh, the text, on the Buddhist text on the mustard seed, but it's suggested reading. And it's probably quite a, you know, there's levels of understanding in it, but I think given the text we've gone through, it's, it's, a, it's somewhat more explicit text. But it, it touches on the same things, really, the same themes, the theme that came out of the Kathatanishat, which is he asked the question, the child, who is the inquiring mind, a symbol of the inquiring mind, asked the question, is taught by death about what is death and the meaning of death and shifts from the question of what happens after me, after I die, to, to, to an experience. And the experience is the experience of the unit of state, which is achieved through, the, through essentially the path of detachment, the path of letting go. And then he experiences love, he experiences unity, and he experiences immortality. So, the question is, how does this relate to healthcare, or where does it sit in healthcare or healthcare, and um, what? It was interesting that you know some of the discussion earlier on around leadership and the challenges with leadership and the challenges with society, and in many ways the health and healthcare is, is I think is not dissimilar to other areas in society, and. I think it's probably worth stating that that in healthcare terms, people talk about like when was the golden age? Like when was the golden age of society? Well, it certainly wasn't the Roman Empire, you know, where they were brutal, you know, crucifying people. They're, you know, they're barbarians in their own way. Yet there was something good about it at that time as well. So, so when is the golden age? If there's any golden age of of healthcare, it's now. Uh, life expectancy is. It's gone from 25 years to 70 years. That's right across the world. Like that is a phenomenal anthropological achievement. Um, you know, infant mor uh, childhood mortality was something like 30% um, 100 years ago. 40% of children died before they were at the age of five. You know, leukemia has gone from, from being a condition that had a, like my own cousin died the same age as me, died when he's three. To, uh, that's a condition that's now greater than 95% cure, you know, so that's over that period of, of time. So the, so the, you know, the change is just, the, these are good, these are great things. And the, they've been driven by the scientific method, they've been driven by reductionism. So the, the original Greek philosophy of holism, which is that the, you know, the body, the sum is, uh, uh, the body is greater than the sum of its parts, was correct because you know there are uh, what what they talked about was emergentism, which is you, you couldn't understand the interactions between the different component parts by just looking at the component parts in itself. Yet Descartes and the Cartesian logic said, you know, I've got a watch. If it's broken, open it up. There's a problem somewhere. Fix the problem, and you fix the watch. And that was that 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 is the scientific philosophy that underpins all the, a lot of the successes we've had over the last three or four hundred years, which have accelerated over the last hundred years. So, so the great advances, um, which are great and meaningful, so I do want those things. They are good. 
Um, but they added to the, add to the complexity. So we know that we get distracted anyway. So if we're just going into the fire, like the Upanishads, with the guys who went into the forest or the desert fathers, they were saying that they got just as distracted in there as they were getting distracted in the village because it's, it's in our heads. But with the advent in, in medicine of, of multiple, so we went from sort of a sm small number of drugs to thousands of drugs, small number of diagnoses that we make to thousands of diagnoses, small number of different types of doctors to multiple different teams of doctors. And they were all, that's all good, so, and led to the development, but it significantly increases complexity. And complexity increases distraction. And just like other areas of, of society, this leads to challenges. So in other words, the very seeds that bring us the great advances also bring us the great challenges and the great distractions and can throw us further out of this state of being into the state of existence and, and doing. So we become more, even though we have great tools, we become more, more like Martha, or we're, we're propelled more in the Martha direction. We're always, got the, we're always sitting in the Martha space. Our tendency is, for some reason or other, is to default into that. And... Um, in a sense, then, if we, if we look at the problems of healthcare, so whether it's a problem with unsafe healthcare, you know, errors, you know, so it's recognized that whatever it is, the fourth leading cause of death in the US is the healthcare system itself, so acts or omissions. And that's the same for all the Western developed societies. They've just articulated more clearly. So, so the Issues around safety, I remember one of the roles I was in, we kept putting on these safety programs, and one of the things that we were really struggling with is that we couldn't get the people that we wanted to, to attend them, or they weren't, weren't attending them willingly, like they were intelligent people, they were working really hard. So, so what's going on? And the same with what we call effectiveness in healthcare, which is in other words, just abiding by best, best practice. Why, why does it not always happen? Same issue, same, same problem underpinning the whole area of, of compassion. So there is an experience that healthcare may not be as compassionate as it was previously. And some countries have, have um, started to teach compassion. Now, it's very hard to teach compassion. You can teach somebody to fake compassion. And that in itself is a benefit. At least the person speaks to you nicely and looks at you. But I think we're, we're looking for something beyond that. And then finally is the whole issue of, of, of the meaning of health, the meaning of healthcare. And what I was talking about on the first day, and we've talked about it here before, which is you know, a definition, a pervasive definition of health is this state of complete physical, psychological, and social well-being. And that's a pervasive view. It's, it's, it's as much about the followership as the leadership, um, and that that's the expectation. And that, if that's the expectation, well then maybe the foundation of health or health care is flawed because it's based on an illusion. I can't give you that. I can give it to you for a short period of time, but ultimately I'm going to lose on this one.
So that's going to lead to frustra frustration and disappointment, a cycle of frustration and disappointment, with some highs along the way, for sure. So, coming out from that, there, there, there is this, well, what is health, okay? And, uh, and we touched on it uh, earlier on, and health is probably more closely just related to what we've been talking about, which is this harmony of being and doing, where, where all things are encompassed. So, in other words, the, the cure is the fixing of the leg, the fixing of, of, of my leukemia, the fixing of whatever else but also the acknowledgement of the fact that I'm, I'm ultimately going to get older and die, or get older, develop diseases and die. That's if I'm lucky. I might do it when I'm young as well. So it's the integration of all of those things, but resting in a situation where being is sovereign, and all the doing is flowing out from that, is, is hard to put words in it, but probably a closer definition of, of the meaning of health. And that, a key component of that whole stage is, a, is an incre increased awareness. Now, if we look at the, each of the things that, whether it's issues around safety, issues around effectiveness, which is using the right treatment, issues around cost effectiveness or waste, issue, issues around patient experience, or issues relating to the meaning of health. We have technical solutions to improve many of those things. But we don't always draw them down. And the reason we don't always draw them down or use them is because of a decreased level of awareness. And part of the reason for the decreased level of awareness, or, or I, I should say that the other thing is self-care is the other big area. So, that, so in other words, people don't look after themselves. We know that being overweight is not good for you. We know not exercising is not good for you. We know that smoking whatever, 100 cigarettes a day and drinking a few bottles of whiskey is not good for you. But yet, we persist in this. And that, so all of these things are, and there are ways of helping you. So all of these things relate to, to the salute. There are technical solutions, but they have to rest on, it, on an enhanced level of awareness. And what society does to us, what it's done even before was complicated. Our default position is to get thrown into the, to the distractions of the ego. But, but it's perhaps, perhaps only, being ramped up by the, the additional complexity of, the, of, the, of our advances. What always struck me in this, this idea of, of us being flipped into the ego state is the, one of the great teachings on it actually is the myth of the Garden of Eden mythology, which is that, that the, the age of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. Now, if you're going to be disobedient, it seems to me that that was probably a fairly noble fruit to go looking for. And it, and it reflects the fact that our natural instinct is to, is to throw ourselves into this space. And I think that's what it's telling us, is that our default position is to pursue knowledge. And as we do that, we become separated from being, which is separated from God in the, in the Garden of Eden story. And that our life is about transcending it and pulling ourselves back into harmony. Because you can't go back to just being a baby. You, you actually have to go beyond 
and this is and this at some level is what's unfolding in our in our societies in our systems instead of being perhaps a catastrophe it's it's maybe something evolving so I think you know what I'm going to say is the answer to all of this. Now, the <laughs> if I told you it was something else, you'd be very disappointed. <laughs> There's another retreat down the road. Music and silence. So. So in, in some way or other, we, we, there, there is a connection between a number of, of important themes to, to, to readjust ourselves in practical sense. I think the starting point of this is, is attention. So attention is the, is the means by, by which we, we paradoxically actually experience detachment. So the purest form of attention is, is, is the practice of meditation. And we need that underpinning us to pull us out of the distracted state and put us back into some form of proximity to the unit of state. We need to keep doing it because we keep flipping back the whole time. And this, this, but it's not just attention during meditation. We need to let it flow right throughout our, our, our daily experience in the way we were talking about earlier on, where it's feeding meditation, and meditation is feeding it. So being contemplative in all that we do, or mindful in all that we do. And that that in turn leads to an enhanced level of awareness, which allows us to draw down the technical things that we need. So that's, so, so one of the things that always struck me is that the guys who are coming to the, to the um, every, every, the people who are the easiest to, to to sort of uh, deploy a safety solution with were the ones who appeared to be most aware. They, they were able to, they were drawing other things down. They were the first people who came to the meditation group or the first people who came into the safety group. Now maybe they're just looking to get out of work. <laughs> but but they, were, they were the people who were actually, the, to be fair, they were the ones that were deploying it in their practice. So, so, so the aware, in, increased level of awareness allows us to draw down the sort of the technical solution. So, if I have somebody in front of me that is, as their blood pressure is dropping and their heart rate's going up, yeah, you know, I, I I understand better if I'm more aware the time for action, the time for inaction. This is a time for action, and the timing is now. You know, I need to get line in. I need to get blood cross match. I need to identify the source of bleeding. I need to get whatever other treatment in. But there will be another time where, if I'm aware, I'll notice that this is not the time for action because somebody's coming in and there's something else going on. And I need to give attention. Now that attention might be five minutes because there's 30 people outside in a, in a clinic, or it could be one minute. But the power, uh, but if we think of the power of attention, if we think of somebody paying attention to us and the difference between them not paying attention to us and the difference to, to them paying attention to us, or think of a child that has been given attention versus a child that hasn't been given attention, and the difference of that experience. And part of 
of what happens with attention is it increases awareness both in the person who's paying attention and the person who's been paid attention to. But that increased level of awareness, not just, as I say, around the technical things that we're going to draw down, but the broader issues at play, whether they're social or, um, or maybe uh, deeper spiritual fa factors at play, and somebody who could be dying, for example. What, what that, so we see this link between attention and detachment leading to awareness. What awareness, in turn, is linked to is relationship. So, so it improves the relationship starting off within us. Um, as Moss was saying, the, you know, the peacemaker, that's where firstly we make peace with ourselves. We show mercy to ourselves. Then it flows out to our relationships with, with others. So that those relationships have meaning. And lead to a sense of meaning, actually. And, and that sense of meaning is the ex leads to an experience of healing. And if we compare that to, let's just say, when we're in a dis distracted state, we, we may concentrate, or at least narrow our, our focus onto something. Uh, and again, we're using words here, so, so that kind of different meanings, but if you can think of there's a difference between being attentive where our, where, our, where our consciousness is broad and concentrating where we're distracted but we're just focusing, I'm just going to focus on the knee, I'm not really thinking about anything else. And that that narrowness is associated with a limited sense of awareness. So my job is to fix your knee, that's all I'm going to do. I've got a limited sense of awareness, the relationships both within myself and with the person I'm treating are, are not are functional. So I'm doing it because I want to fix the knee, because I need to get paid, because I need to pay the mortgage, or I need to get through this waiting list, or I need to, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and that that can lead to is not going to lead to meaning, much meaning. It can lead to to a fix, and it's not going to lead to healing, even though it can lead to might call a cure. So I can still get my knee fixed and I can still have good things done to me. But the point is they're all temporary measures because somewhere along the way we're going to enter the experience of illness and death for both the treater and the person that's been treated. They have to, they, what was the, as the, in the parable of the mustard seed, the, the, the living, the, the the living are few, the dead are many. You know? So we, we all have to go through that place. And, and our understanding of healing and health has to be able to encompass that. And if we're just stuck in the space of this sort of limited attention or concentration, for want of a better word, limited um, awareness, limited relationships, uh, sort of an absence of real meaning to it, whether it's in healthcare or whether it's in any other area, that does not lead to healing. It leads to more to fragmentation. So, so coming back to the, to the final thing is what, what do we do about it ourselves? And just coming back to this theme, is the, is the problem with leadership or is the problem with followership? 
And are, are we just experiencing in the Tao sense, just the tall and the small, just variating the thousand things moving forward and back? And the importance really of the end of, of, of us sort of sorting ourselves out inside. Is that what we need to do first? So we could go out and say, okay, we've, we've got these insights or these ideas, let's go out and change the world. Or do we actually sort of focus on changing ourselves? And I think where, where I would get to on this is that I think the thing to do is, is for us to just start with our own contemplative practice. And in the, in the words of through, through, though one sits in meditation in a particular place, the self within can exercise its influence far away, though still he moves everything everywhere. So it may well be that actions flow from that. And you do do things that are more global, but that it has to start from within us. So the key, I think, uh, somebody asked what was the learning objective. Should we have defined our learning objective at the start? So I'm going to define it at the end. <laughs> so so I, think, I think it's really about, we would hope that, that when you've, atten- when you've a, a, sort of a, attended the retreat here, that at some level you've got an experience of the beginning and perhaps of an end, um, that you can see or touch a reality in a way you hadn't seen it before, and that you can learn a practice or relearn a practice, because people have been meditating before, to allow you to bring, to bring you on this journey. So, to summarise in one line, I think that a path to health and healing is to just to meditate, just do it. Thank you. Thank you.